Today's episode is sponsored by Quilt Photography Co. Kick bad photography out the door right now. Photos are tricky and they get it, but they'll make them easy for you. You make the quilts and they'll take the photos. Let Quilt Photography Co. make your quilts look awesome because they are. Visit them at quiltphotography.com. Thank you so much, Quilt Photography Co. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 131 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a career as a quilter with my guest, Molly Sparkles. Molly Sparkles is a multi-award-winning quilt maker who describes himself as a quilt maker to the stars, fearless leader of the glitterati, and spiller of truth tea. He blogs at mollysparkles.com and is a regular columnist for Make Modern and Textile Fiber Forum magazine. His quilts have been exhibited and sold internationally with a flair for humor, subversion, originality, and self-worth. Molly Sparkles, welcome. Hey, Abby. It's great to speak to you from the future. How are you doing today? It's great to speak to you too. And you're in the future because you're in Australia. I am. I I live in Sydney, Australia. I'm originally from America. I'm originally from Oklahoma, Um, but I am uh, living in Sydney now for 13 years. Um, so we're about 16, 17 hours ahead of you, and uh, it's now Wednesday morning here. That's right. And it's Tuesday evening here. So I'm so glad that we figured out our time zones. I mean, this work. <laughs> it was a little complicated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a little complicated scheduling, but you totally like were like, hey, here's what time it is where you are. Here's the time it is <laughs> yeah. where I am. We're making this work. So yeah. I'm so glad to talk to you. And um, I've been reading your blog for years and years and following your work for a long time. And so just getting to um, the opportunity to talk to you and hear more about it is really exciting for me. So I guess we'll start with what brought you to Australia, because not that many Americans I know have moved to Sydney. So how did you get there? Yeah, that was a crazy adventure. Um, I had done a, a study abroad program when I was at uh, college in Philadelphia, where I went to University of Pennsylvania. And I spent six months here, loved it. And then when I finished uh college, I wanted to come back. So I applied to the University of Sydney to do my master's of fine arts and they accepted me before any other school did. And so I just jumped at the chance and, um, I came out, I was supposed to be here a year, but uh, six weeks after arriving, I, I met my uh, lovely fiance, uh, Mr. Sparkles. His name's, uh, as people know him on the blog, um, his name's Adam, and fell in love. And I've been here uh, for 13 years now, uh, 13 and a half, I guess. And it's just been fantastic. And it's it really, from the moment I've been here, it's felt like home. Oh, wow. That's great. And um, when you were at um, the University of Pennsylvania, were you, what were you majoring in there? Yeah, I did fine arts as well. Um, I did uh, photography as a major and it was pretty much four years of me living in a dark room because <laughs> um, <laughs> this was before digital. Um, digital was just emerging in photography. And so I had, I was a working photographer um, after that for a few years. And after I sort of um, went back to school and, and did my master's, I, I knew I, I did photography as well. I didn't really want to uh, continue on that path and be a poor artist for the rest of my life. So I started looking for other jobs and, and switched industries completely. Um, now I, I work for Apple Computers as uh, the National Facilities Manager um, for Australia. Um, so completely different. Um, but that's why quilting has uh, really supplemented um, the creative absence in my life that um I lost when I sort of stopped doing photography as a uh, career. Um, And now all of the uh, quilting and even the photography that I do at my blog serves as a, as a passion project rather than me needing to be uh, financially uh, fueled and filled by it. Right. And, um, and do you make money through quilting now or is quilting really not a source of income at all? Um, Quilting definitely has been a source of income. Um, It has been a, 
you know, I'm, I'm not paying the mortgage with it, but it definitely funds itself. I have a separate bank account for the quilting money that comes in and comes out. And with my regular writing gigs, um, there's, uh, you know, money transactions through there and I've sold several quilts, um, and been sponsors for various, uh, fabric sewing machine, um, companies. And so it really, I try to keep a cost neutral equation to, um, uh, quilting, but right now it's, it's, yeah, it's probably more, uh, coming in than going out. <laughs> okay. All right. Good. So that's kind of good to give people kind of a sense of that. So, all right. So you're a transplant to Sydney, but you grew up in the United States and mm-hmm. did you grow up in Oklahoma? Do I have that right? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I do. grew up in a small town um, called uh, Broken Arrow and went to Coweta high school in Oklahoma, um, on a, remote sort of uh, farmland surrounded by soybean fields, um, raised by my grandparents. Uh, Grandma Sparkles is a, a regular feature on my blog. Yeah, you talk about cool, her very fondly. <laughs> yes, yes, she, is, uh, she raised me. My grandparents raised me um, from a small toddler. And, uh, you know, they're so important to me and, and my upbringing and, and my life today and the person who I am. And I'm, I'm <clears throat> always very complimentary uh, to my grandmother just because of the the character traits she's instilled in me and, and my love of quilting is, is directly related to her. She was a quilter and still is a quilter. Um, and I remember rummaging through her fabric stash and, and helping lay out her quilt designs on the uh, carpet in the, in the living room floor. I guess that was precursor to what we use a design wall for. This is the design room floor. And there were applique hearts everywhere and nine patches and big puffy polyester batting. Um, and she used her kitchen table as, you know, the sewing room. So it's all very familiar. You know, this was back in the late eighties and early nineties and to what we use today. So I have those vivid memories. I never, uh, I guess, appreciated them at the time nor helped her sew. Um, with anything, I'm completely self-taught, but that memory of just assisting her and, and being around all of those the quilt items definitely sparked an interest later on. And so were, did she make other things besides quilts? Like, did she sew clothes and sew things for the house? No, no really. It was really a, a, just a quilting and it was a social um, aspect for her. Some of the, the neighbor ladies sort of, you know, were out in the country, so there aren't a lot of people, you know, it was about 20 minutes to go get petrol to the, or gasoline to the, the nearest little town. And um, it was really social for her. So the neighbors, you know, who lived 10 minutes, 15 minutes away, taught her how to quilt. And then so she started doing it and they'd have little quilt get togethers and sewing, sewing alongs and stuff, um, much like we do on the internet now. Um, and so it was really just that social aspect for her. And I would just follow along and I would just meet all of these little interesting people um, that were making things with their hands. And I just remember thinking that all of the colors of the fabric and, and, and such were sort of magical. And then you would come out and I would, there would be an actual item that you could use and, uh, but it only was only ever to quilts, no clothing or anything. Okay. All right. And then what did they do for work? I mean, were they farming or? Well, so, um, it was an interesting situation. Um, my grandmother was a stay-at-home grandmother, a stay-at-home mom for me, and was very active in my upbringing in school, like at the parent-teacher organization president and um, volunteering at school. Um, the area that we lived <clears throat> was my gra- was the uh, owned by the city of uh, Broken Arrow, and my grandfather was the water treatment plant uh, supervisor for the city of Broken Arrow. And so we lived on the land where the water treatment plant was. So we were surrounded by, it was just like, there's the building where the water treatment plant is, but then there's all these lakes um, and it was very, and lakes and then fields all around our house. So we were very solitary, um, but there was a lot of room for me to explore and, and go fishing or hunting or, you know, do all of those outdoorsy things that you would do in Oklahoma. Of course, all I ever wanted to do was live in the city. Um, so it was completely lost on me. And I, I actually hated and was very resentful that I was all of all people had to live out in the middle of nowhere. And all my friends at school were living in uh, neighborhoods with cul-de-sacs and were riding bikes through the streets. 
and I was out stuck alone playing with fabric. Now I, I think it would probably was nothing that could be better. Right, right. I see. Okay. But you were obviously really artistic because you went, and also you must have been quite a good student because you went to, I mean, University of Pennsylvania is an Ivy League college and you were an art major. So there must have been a story there because you you must have been a high achiever of some kind. <laughs> you must have done um, pretty well. Yeah, I was... Um, yeah, I was. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't. I I don't mean to, and I don't want to sound arrogant or egotistical. Um, but yeah, I was definitely a high achiever, overachiever in a lot of cases. Um, I was valedictorian and of my high school, which sounds so far far away um, now. Thinking back about it, um, but I was that kid in school that would take every advanced class just to take it, um, just to. Uh, cure my natural uh, taste for education, loved hanging out at school, loved hanging out with my teachers, was inspired by them and who they were to be. Um, I remember being in second grade and uh, wanting to go to Harvard uh, University. That, that was that was my goal in life at the time. Um, and yeah, and then when I applied and got into the University of Pennsylvania, I went to visit. I loved Philadelphia. I loved the Quadrangle, which is the major schooling grounds. And just had the best time there. And it was uh, some of the best four years. Well, some of the best time of my life. I was there in school for four years and then lived there another year afterwards uh, working. And it was, it still is a, a beautiful place. And I would recommend anyone to go there. Um, but the art program um, really changed my life in a way that I didn't expect. I didn't expect going into University of Pennsylvania that I would be an artist. You know, I had um, uh, obviously... Uh, I had to have certain grades and test scores, et cetera, to get into um, an Ivy League school. And um, art was very far from my mind, actually, you know, going into the university. And once I started meeting my tribe of, of, of fellow uh, artists, I quickly realized I wanted to be one of them. And again, I had never touched photography. I studied photography. I had never picked up a camera before going to the university. And once I did so, I just fell in love with it. And I fell in love with that um, darkroom processing and even in a color darkroom, which is a dry process, um, color balancing. I'd always had a very good eye for color um, at high school. And, and once I was in the darkroom, I could see colors. And with a color darkroom, you are um, using a scale called CMYK, which is cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. And you're balancing um, at one, like one dial at a time to get the exact correct balance. Everyone does this on their phone now using warmth and cool tones of, of a slider. Right. Um, but before we did it as a, in a dark room. And so my, uh, my color sense became really astute and that really carried it forward into quilting because I can look at colors and really differentiate between value and, and tone and shade and brightness just from fabrics, just looking at them without any need for turning things black and white or doing a, a lot of thinking about it, I can just really click and see what works. Yeah. And that's actually incredibly important for creating um, a good composition in quilting. And it, and it's more important than people realize when you're mm. selecting fabrics. It's much more important than just selecting pretty fabrics that when you're yeah. pulling, when you're pulling fabric for quilting, I mean, that's what's really, that's what really makes a quilt shine. Um, so yeah, I can see how that would um, transfer forward. Um, okay. So so you um, you went to the University of Pennsylvania, which is very very um, urban and very different from uh, where you grew up, and open your eyes to this world of art. Um, and, yeah. Um, okay. And um, and then, but you still weren't quilting at all. I mean, quilting was not part. And sewing, you know, I'm assuming no. you really didn't know how to sew. That really wasn't part of your your world your worldview at all. No, not at all. And I, I have to say, I didn't even. It sounds awful, but I, I felt a sense of uh, what we would call in Australia dagginess about um, quilting and sewing. And, and uh, what's the best way to explain dagginess? Something that's just sort of not sophisticated. Um, and I remember thinking uh, about my, at the time, about my grandmother and, and what she was making. And I was just like, oh, that's sort of kind of um, just... Little, not uncouth, but just a, a little um, less, not fine art um, and, you know, very crafty. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, and I, at the time I used the, I would have used the word crafty in a negative connotation. Yeah. Um, 
And, and now, you know, uh, I, I scold myself and slap my hand and I can look back at the error of my ways and say, um, wow, Crafty is actually has, and I actually did learn this at university when I was taking fine art courses, like craft has a whole imbibed meaning and a whole history um, of fine art uh, behind it that people are not even aware of when they use the word craft or crafty, um, but it's imbibed with such meaning and historical context um, that people really should explore that. And, and if they have an interest in craft versus fine art, there's, oh, gosh, there's so much to discuss. Um, but for me, it wasn't until I was already in Australia and was getting bored uh, and was looking for something to do that I, that I picked up a needle and thread. Right. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about that process because you often talk about or tell the story of sort of wanting to to make something with your grandmother um, and kind of returning home to Oklahoma and asking her to show you. Um, yeah. So is that really the origin story or how did you really learn how to sew? Yeah. Okay. So there's two parts to this story. Okay. So the, and I, I love this story because it is it really captures for me um, exactly what I wanted it to be when I when when it was happening, and I can look back at it now, and it is perfectly wrapped up in a bow of how I wanted it to uh, occur. So what happened was is um, I went home for uh, just a family trip to see my grandparents in Oklahoma um, from uh, from Australia, and I was there I think for six days. And on the first day, I said to my grandmother. Um, who is quite young for a grandmother at the time she was probably about uh, late sixties right now. She's, uh, I think she, she just turned 72. Um, okay. So she's actually younger than my mom. Yeah. Okay, so exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 37. Uh, uh, my grandmother, uh, my, my grandmother is 72. Yeah. Okay. And so I, it's just a very shallow generations. Um, I said to her on day one, um, Hey grandma, I want to make a, quilt together um so that we can have a shared memory of doing you know doing it together so that when you know eventually you do die or um as everyone does i have this sort of tangible object that we created together and it becomes this heirloom for me and and my uh, my life and she kind of just looked at me crazily and wide-eyed i was like um you're only here for six days and i was like well that's okay we can do it and she's like, do you know how to sew? No. Um, do you know how to do it? No. I, like, I literally had no I had no idea what was involved and nothing about quilting. I was just like rocking up on our doorstep saying, let's make a quilt. And so I designed this pattern that I knew in my head what I wanted it to be. And, and I ended up calling it Trip Around the Universe. Um, and it's very similar to a trip around the world, except the fabrics don't repeat. Um, and so it's an ombre. It's on my bed now, actually. It's an ombre from white to um, dark blue going through a, a blue value spectrum and i had a pattern under um, the graph paper i drafted it and so we spent those six days going to a fabric store selecting 44 different fabrics to go in the quilt um and then i was like i'm not gonna sew <laughs> i was a diva even then I said i'm not gonna sew you have to do all the sewing but i'll do like the cutting and the um, ironing, whatever else needs to be done. So, um, in that six days, we finished the quilt top itself. And, uh, then about six months later, I think she sent it to me in the mail. Um, and it had been quilted and she got a backing for it and, and bound it. And her, her friend, Judy, um, has a long arm machine. And so they long armed it together and, and sent it to me and it's, it's fantastic. And I, it's a queen size quilt. I love it. 90 inches square. Um, and it's one of my, my favorites. So, I consider that my precursor quilt, like the the pre-quilt, because I actually didn't sew any of it, right. um, but I, I had a contributing factor. Um, and then what happened is I got home and like there was this like niggling, you know, like I had touched fabric and I was like, actually, that, was, that wasn't so bad. That was kind of cool. You know, like I don't really know how to, or I don't know how to sew, but those colors are pretty. That was exciting. And um, so I said, I bet. I bet I can figure this out. You know, it's just squares, right? And so I started watching YouTube videos and I thought, okay, I'm what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy some fabric and then I'm going to make a quilt for my grandmother and not tell her, right? And so that it would be a surprise and I'd be like, I've taught myself how to sew. And, and then I said, once I started this idea, I said, I'll start 
keeping like an online journal with like pictures so that I can send to her with the quilt to say, oh, here's my journey as I learned how to make a quilt and sew and in order to give it to you as a thank you for being like the most awesome and fantastic person in my life. And it was, it, and it all started just because I wanted to give my grandmother a big, big hug and a big thank you. And so I went about um, making this quilt for her and I would call her and say, Hey, I'm making a quilt for my best friend, Lacey. Um, from high school. And I said, what would you do if you had to do it like this? And I just kept asking my grandmother <laughs> advice on how to quilt <laughs> all the time telling her it was for someone else. Um, meanwhile, I figured out I had bought way too much fabric. And so concurrently, I started making a second quilt, like, like on day two, while I was making the first one to give to my friend Lacey. And I told my friend Lacey that I was making a quilt for my grandmother. Meanwhile, I was making quilts for each of them and talking to each of them about the other person's quilt. And so it, at the end of it all, I got them both finished and um, I had kept sort of started blogging about my experience. I, my, uh, it was September 12th, I think I started blogging um, in 2012, somewhere around that day. It was September 7th, I think. And I um, quickly realized that uh, me being, you know, the ego driven person at the time that I was, I thought, oh, no one has a quilt blog. Uh, who would have ever have done that? I'll start a quilt blog and be the first person in the world. Um, and then I started it and realized there were like 20,000 quilt blogs out there. And I obviously had not been so original, but I kept going and um, I gave it to my grandkid, my quilt to my grandmother and gave the other quilt to my friend Lacey and, um, and kept blogging about them. And um, they, they were over the moon and excited. And, and, you know, I had committed the cardinal sin of quilting, which is starting another project before you finish the first without even realizing that was uh, a very common commonality amongst all filters. I want to take a minute now and talk with our sponsor, Quilt Photography Co., and the founder of Quilt Photography Co., Amy Garrow. My name is Amy Garrow, and I own Quilt Photography Co. A while ago, when I was blogging and starting to write patterns, I would go outside and try to take photos and try to get my husband to hold them. And I mean, that went okay. And they're blowing everywhere. And lighting was always an issue. But recently, I opened a portrait studio. And so now what I do is I get to use all my really fancy equipment to take photos that are perfect of quilts. And it's a really exciting collision of those two worlds of the of the photography and the quilts. And so I decided that I wanted to offer that passion to everybody else. So what it is, is you just drop your quilt in the mail, and then I take it to a studio with white gloves, and it gets the full-on model treatment, and you get professional, extremely high-quality photos, and then I send it right back to you, and you didn't have to lift a finger, and you have these amazing photos. So I'm taking extremely modern shots of the quilts that you're not going to be able to get on your own. So it's a, the most important one is the full flat shot, and I can accommodate any quilt size. So if you have an extra-large king, that's not a problem. And that's on a white background. And then I also take folded shots, drape shots, hanging shots, also on a white background. And what that's fabulous for is if you're inserting text around it or using it for any other form of design, you just drop it in into your pattern. And if the only reason you want photos is because you love your quilt, then that's what they're for too. But they're also great for submitting to quilt shows because you always need at least one flat shot, and one detail shot. And those can be hard to get. And you don't want your quilt to not get into the quilt show because your photography didn't show how beautiful the quilt was. So the flat shot is, you know, obviously the most important. And then we do the other cool ones out from there. So the whole point is for it to be um, very easy for you and very convenient. And then it's also pretty affordable. So one shot, one flat shot is $125. And then it goes up from there. And when you think about it in relationship to the amount of time that you're spending trying to take your own photos, it's such a time saver that it's so worth it. And one thing too, is that um, you have full full usage, right? So sometimes people ask me like, well, can I use it though? And I say, yes, absolutely. You can use it for, you can use it for commercial purposes. You can put it in a book. You can submit it to a magazine, anything you need to. That's what I'm here for. 
So it's really easy. It's just quiltphotography.com. For all of your listeners, which I'm an avid listener, so I'm excited about this because I love the coupon codes. Um, just type in while she naps into your checkout and that'll give you half off your first order. And that there's no limit on the number of, of quilts you put in there. So if you want to put in five quilts and get half off your full order, go for it. Oh, that's such a great deal. Thank you so much, Amy. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Quilt Photography Co. And now, back to my conversation with Molly. Did you learn to sew just from, like, videos? Yeah, yeah. Uh, videos, trial and error. Um, no, I, I, never had any, I never had any classes or anything. Like, I, I literally went out to... Um, ikea and bought a sewing machine oh i love the ikea sewing machine i um i teach sewing you know people to use their sewing machines locally Mm -hmm. and um and i love it when people bring in the the yellow and blue ikea sewing machine it's so Um, cute betsy Uh, it's she is adorable Um, i think it's called the sy sy um sewing machine and yeah, it was great. It was it was like a way for me to spend seventy dollars and not yeah. invest a lot of money without. And that's seventy Australian, so probably like fifty in the U.S. There, it's cheap uh, and um, it works. And it works. And it, I granted, I did go through three of them. I'm making my <laughs> first quilt. <laughs> I kid you not. I took it back three times. I'm like, this one is need. I need a. I need a new one. It's broken. They kept giving me a new one. Um, yeah. And so after I made those first two quilts, I was like, okay, this is gonna stick. And I um and those first two quilts were were squares and half square triangles. And I started reading other blogs. And uh, there's a lot of tutorials on blogs at that time. And I started making quilty friends and getting involved in Facebook groups um, that were uh, quilt centric and talking to people and, and they would point me in directions and, and I was, you know, fake it until you make it really, you know, it's just wing it the whole time, whole time. And I've never stopped believing that, Hey, it's just fabric. You know, if it can be unstitched, it can be recut, it can be repurposed, um, so I've never been so really that precious about it. Um, and so I just had fun. And, and, I, and I think that um, the more we do that as creators and forget, allow ourselves to have fun and play and forgive the mistakes, the more creative that we do become. Right. Absolutely. You have to sort of just not be afraid to fail and never feel like it's a waste of time or a waste of money or whatever and waste of energy you know it was a learning experience and so yeah yeah everything leads us to somewhere else absolutely yeah i firmly believe that so and and so the quilting became one piece of this but then the blog became another piece of it because i I kind of feel like both of them have had a pretty major influence out into the world so i want to kind of talk about the blog a little bit so um it's funny that you thought like your blog you know, like there were no other quilting blogs, like, yeah. you know, no one's thought of this, which is kind of, which is kind of funny, but, um, but maybe it's no, a, it's say. a, yeah. yeah, it's a good, it's sometimes a good place to come from, like a place of naivete, like, you know, just because you're not, um, feeling, you know, sort of overwhelmed by all the amazing, bound by any rules. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of better in some ways to come at it. Totally. That, yeah. From that, um, from that, that worldview. But, um, so what did the blog have a name in the beginning yeah so i had a this is also a, a frequent story that i've told on my blog as well um but a, i had a nickname already of molly sparkles at work at my day job and that i had um sort of received innocently via a, a miley cyrus um, song and people can read about it on the blog it, it was uh, too long of a story to discuss at the moment well, wait, but, tell us the, the brief version of okay, it. Okay. okay so i um had went on a work trip had a song stuck in my head um my work colleague uh was tired of me humming it on a 14-hour flight um sitting next to her and we got there and she's like okay we're gonna sit down and figure this out the song turned out to be um uh, Miley Cyrus's party in the USA. And because um, my friend uh, was is a New Zealander, we call them Kiwi, um, and they have a, a very uh, thick accent, or, or she did. And so when she said, um, when I said it was Miley Cyrus, she said, I'm going to start calling you Miley, but it came out Molly because it hurt the way that they pronounced it. I was sort of like a U, like Molly. 
And so she's, I'm going to call you Molly. And I has wearing a uh, Converse uh, shoes with sparkle like sequins all over them at the time. And she's, I'm going to call you Molly Sparkles. And so the name just stuck. And so then everyone at work started calling me Molly Sparkles. And this was before I had started quilting. And I just thought, actually, that's kind of a clever name. Um, so I'm just going to buy the, the website domain. This is before quilting at all. I had, I had no idea what I was going to do with it. But I was like, it cost $13. I'm going to buy that. Yeah. And I bought it. <laughs> and, and then I, when I started quilting and then I was like doing the blog, I was like, actually, hello, that's perfect. Um, and I just, I like the name as um, it's Molly Sparkles, but I also like that it is a verb as well, like Molly sparkles down the street um so i just have always been really for i guess like seven years i've had that nickname uh really affected by it and just when i started quilting it's like it's perfect and i started the blog uh, it was an obvious choice and yeah that's where it, that's where it all began. okay so to what degree do people in your real life really call you molly sparkles um so if anywhere in the quilting world i will only respond to molly um, because it's sort of like, uh, I, I almost call it like quilt drag, uh, because oh, I love I, that. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, I, when I'm in that zone, so if I'm at a trade show, um, it, it, I, I, that's just where my head's at. Um, my real name is Joshua. Um, so, you know, right. Your name I, is, your given name is Joshua Helms. Given name is Joshua Helms. Yeah. And, but I've walking down the street um in like at QuiltCon. Um I remember I was approached outside of QuiltCon by by some glitterati and I was just there's if they would have said Joshua, I wouldn't have turned around. Like because I, that's not where my head's at. Um so in my quilt zone it's Molly only. Um in my day to day life people call me Joshua, but my friends call me Molly as well. Like it the name, you know, due to the popularity and, and people coming to my house and seeing my studio and and knowing that me that this is not just a passing fad or if they, uh, uh, this is a, a, a passion that Molly is here to stay. Right. Like you were on, was it like the Today Show? Yeah. Yeah. I was on the um, Today Show. Um, it's the same Today Show that you have in the United States, but it's the Australian version um, promoting uh, my, my feature as the guest artist at the Sydney Craft and Quilt Fair and uh, the, the show and, and my quilts. And yeah, I was with Carl, uh, Carl Stefanovic and Lisa Wilkinson, and they, uh, yeah, referred to me as Molly, and it comes across on the the, the, the screen as Molly. So I'm, right. I'm very happy to be uh, known as Molly Sparkles. It's uh, it's very fitting, and it's fitting for my day to day personality as well. Right. Yeah. So that's really great. I I, I think thanks for clarifying that because sure. like in our emails back and forth, um, you always sign you know the email M or Molly, and I wrote to you you know like. Hi, Molly. Would you like to be a guest yeah. on my podcast? And, you know, and I knew that that your given name was Joshua. So it was sort of like, does he want to be referred to this way? I think he does. And totally. Um, totally. yeah, so, um, so that's good. It. Yeah, great. I mean, I figured you did. So that's good yeah. to know. Um, uh, so because that's how you were signing your name. So right. <laughs> <laughs> I figured that was what you wanted. Um, okay, but it kind of gets to your blog, which I think, yeah. unlike, you know, I would say the most quilting blogs, although not all. I mean, there's a few out there that are this way, but yours definitely, um, you know, I would say stands out um, by sort of taking a stab at subverting gender norms. Um, mm -hmm. That's something that you're really, you kind of come out in front of. And, you know, you've got this sort of female pseudonym, which you're totally taking, you know, taking on. Um, your logo is pink and sparkly. Mm. Um, you sometimes, maybe sometimes refer to yourself as a he or a she, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just sort of pushing those gender boundaries. There's, um, your, your photo is like got glitter coming down from your eye. And so I yeah. just wondered whether, um, I mean, do you feel like there's some, mission involved there? Like, do you feel like there's a way in which pushing those boundaries in a very public way, you know, it's, it's definitely unusual among quilting blogs and quilters, I would say at least in the United States, 
tend to trend conservative. Um, yeah. And I mean, not all of them, obviously, um, not like not all of any group of people, but exactly. That's, yeah. you know, I get you. Yeah, there's a, a, a tendency. Um, yeah. So I just wondered whether you feel like there's, um, I don't know, like a way of helping to expand people's mindset. So I will, there's, there's, that's such a loaded question. There's so much there and I love it. Um, so first of all, everything on my blog is nuanced, considered and purposeful. Um, so there's, there's nothing left to chance or accidental about the articles I write, um, the color of things, the pictures I post. Um, it takes me a, a really quite a lengthy process just to even write, you know, a 500 word blog post because my, um, attention to, uh, detail and the things I, the words I choose to use are very intentional and purposeful. And so when we just start talking about subverting gender norms, absolutely. Um, when Molly Sparkles came along, I thought oh, that's brilliant because it is, um, when the nickname and, and, and leading to the blog name, um, because for me, it was exactly what I wanted it to be. Like, I want people to come to the blog expecting one thing and maybe getting something else unexpected, but then being okay with it. And I used to do that a lot in my photography as well. Um, and the photography that I would do in, at university was often um, male nudes, and I would do them covered in paint or food product or some sort of masking so that you couldn't see, necessarily see um, the, the male genitalia until you really look closely. And what I really loved about that was because it was so subversive and the idea that people would approach, and especially I always use my grandmother as a typical case study, um, would, and she would approach and be like, oh, that's really beautiful. And it's right, like the red and, the, and it's gorgeous color and shapes and lines. And then you start staring a little bit longer and you go, oh, oh, there's a penis. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> And, and then people go, oh, and then there's a little bit of that um, shock and awe. But then does it make you reflect and go, actually, I still like it, even though it is a penis. Is that OK? Should I not like it? And, and then it starts like creating all these questions. And that's exactly the same uh, process um, that I'm trying to achieve with my blog. And, you know, there are certain, lots of people that come to my blog and know full well that I am a man um, quilting um, and Molly is just a, a pseudonym or a quilt, a nom de quilt, as someone once put it. I love that too. Uh, okay. Nom de quilt, yeah. Um, and then there are other people that message me on Facebook or I see uh, like passive messages to other people talking about me as a female, um, or using, uh, feminine gendered, uh, pronouns. And I think that's also great because, uh, I have like, while I, while I, I self-identify as uh, a man, as a gender, I, I don't feel that if I were to self-identify as a woman gender, that there would be anything wrong with that. And, and I think, um, why not? I, I don't take any, I don't harbor any resentment about someone coming to my blog and ex, ex, uh, expecting or, or calling me female. Cause I think, well, women are great. Like I, I honestly think women are great. So it's almost a compliment, really. I mean, it is a compliment either way. Like it does, it's so irrelevant to me. Um, whether uh, people think Molly Sparkles is a man or a woman that I try to keep it in that, uh, shades of pink area that it's just, it is who, Molly is who you want him or her to be. But it, it's so neat that your blog in that way that your photographs were, your blog is a project that way. In other words, you know what I mean? Like so you were talking about your photos as something that you see at first glance and think are beautiful. Then you look more carefully and it sort of pr becomes problematic. And then you start to say to yourself, but if I thought it was beautiful and now I think it's problematic, what do I think next? And, yeah. um, and so, and, but your whole blog is that, do you know what I mean? So it's like almost yeah. like your whole blog is that project. Yeah, exactly. And I love, and that, that for me has been the passion about it is making it a very nuanced, uh, character, um, in, in Molly Sparkles. And I, I want people to be able to dig deep into not only Molly, but the work itself. And, uh, you know, some of my work I'll admit is, uh, rubbish, 
Um, and there are projects that I go, oh, what was I thinking? And then there are other projects that I go, actually, I still really love that years later, or um, that has a, a greater subversion to it that is uh, really reflected in from the blog, and, and one thing will lead to another. And I just hope that people are able to see the work um, outside of any of the drama or histrionics that come sometimes with the the blog and the comments and the likes and stuff, because sometimes the, the work can get lost amongst all of that. Yeah. And there's been some drama. <laughs> <laughs> there has been some drama on the blog. Yeah, there's sure. been some drama. And, um, and I like that you're not, you know, you're not afraid to sort of, you know, put your toe into the drama and sort of yeah. see, see where things go. So we'll talk about a couple of the projects that, um, within the blog that have yeah. led to some of that drama. Um, cause there've been a few that have sort of stood out. Um, so maybe, um, do you want to talk about like the gender kisses project? Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So um, tell us the story there and what happened. I remember following this really closely as it was unfolding. This has been, okay. So I, I have to say, um, so I've been quilting for six years, I think, um, 2012 so yeah just a little over six years and blogging for about that same time there are a lot of stories and many of them dramatic and some of them i may not recapture um as eloquently now as at the time because it's a kind of a blur um it's like those photo albums that you need to revisit and go oh my god what was i wearing (laughs) Um, (laughs) um so with gender kisses though um i there was uh, this whole sort of Luke Haynes, um, uh, I think he had a podcast. Uh, I don't, was it, was he on your podcast? He was on my podcast, but I'm not even sure that the, Is that where, uh, the comment was there. I don't, I'm not sure if oh, it was okay. there or elsewhere. I don't remember. It might've been before. It could have been. This has been. Long story of it was, or short story of it was that, um, there were some ladies who I love dearly now after we've discussed and hashed it all out. Um, both named Stephanie. Um, and, uh, there was some comments made about the Luke Haynes podcast and then I got on my blog and I was like, well, I don't really agree with this. And, and in no certain terms sort of let it rip about what I thought of, uh, of the situation, um, which was actually in, in retrospect. And, and as we discussed it, quite in line with sort of the comments that um, Stephanie had made. And, and we were much more similar, I think, than dissimilar. Uh, we were just coming at it from different directions. And um, so we started really engaging this dialogue and this blog post that I had written um, created a, a field of uh, commentary, both on her blog and my blog, about the role of men in quilting and should, and I think if I remember correctly, um, but the quote on my blog was, um, his dick may have got him in the door, but his talent kept it wedged open or something like that. Something that I like that, right. So yeah. sort of basically saying that just because you're a male sort of, does that make you sort of more recognized in the quilting industry exactly. or something like that? Yeah. Exactly. And my viewpoint of it was, Hey, use what your mama gave you. And, um, and, and my mother always wore red lipstick and a push-up bra and she was not ashamed of it and taught me not to be ashamed of it either. And so I always just thought, you know, I, I have certain skills that certain people have and they have skills that I don't have, you know, and at the time, if someone, you know, you know, English paper piecing, you know, I, I had or hand sewing, you know, I had none of those skills. So people can use those skills, um, to advance their whatever career or talents or, or sponsorship deals, whatever they got. And, but if I've only got a personality and I'm relying on my gender, I have no problem using that to, uh, open opportunities for myself. However, I cannot rely on that singular, singular attribute to continue my success or any success that were to happen because of it, because it really will rely on the talent and skills. Um, and, and that's a very moralistic and, um, uh, optimistic view of the world, I think from coming from me, but that's how I see things as well. Um, so I, I wanted to really express that, um, 
Stephanie, who I, I participated in with this gender kisses challenge with, uh, I wanted to have that conversation and dialogue. And so we started talking and we decided that we wanted to have a, I guess, a quilt off, for lack of a better word, where we would both take, um, we decided on a preset pattern, um, a pattern block to use and gave ourselves a little bit of parameters around the size of a quilt and, and whether we're using solids or prints or whatever. And, um, said, okay, we're going to give each other 30 days and we're going to both make a quilt and then we'll have people vote to see who made it, whether it was the, this is quilt A was the man quilt or B quilt B was the woman quilt and see what happens. See if you can actually identify in our little micro case study, um, who's is who. And it turned out that 40% of the people, this guess about that, um, said that the quilt I made was made by a woman. And 60% of the people said that my quilt was made by men. Um, and interesting, my quilt was pastel blue and pastel pink, and, and her quilt was uh, very strong contrast with lots of uh, jewel tones and, and, and very grounded, where mine was a little more airy and fairy. So, uh, yeah, it was a really interesting uh, dialogue that happened on the blog because of it. And um, that was the first, uh, that was probably the second time in my career that I was sent uh hateful comments and that really actually hurt me at the time you know I, I was i remember being very affected by the way people were talking about me um outside of like they weren't talking with me they were talking about yeah. me and, and really that's hurt. really hard yeah i've had that happen to me um several times and it's it's very difficult yeah yeah and especially when like i'm not a you know quote unquote celebrity um and it was something I never ex experienced or expected. And so that um, has always, it toughens you up. You know, now I'm just like, whatever. But I'm also now I'll serve it back because um, I have no respect, time, energy, la la land for trolls. And especially if you come into my house, which is my blog, and try to pass off that behavior as acceptable, um, I will shut it down really quick, quickly. Um, because I, I really believe that kindness can change the world and um we need to hold people accountable to 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 those standards mm -hmm. okay great thank you for talking a little bit about that one so that was that was yeah. one uh yeah. that was one really controversial sort of situation um and i think it's still a conversation that people are having you uh, know gender, around like, yeah sure. mm -hmm, exactly around gender sort of in the industry and and what happens there um and then you you've really been a leader around um, with a post on So Mama So and posts with Sam Hunter around sort of the value of quilts and not mm. undervaluing them in when it comes to selling your work um, and sort of the the We Are So Worth It series and that and that sort of thing and um, you made I think you made a quilt called No Value Does Not Equal Free um, which is a quilt that um, it it appears to be like all white yeah so the, the again play on playing on words of a subversion so uh of the of the value when we talk about value of the range from light to dark and so i made this quilt that was all white with the idea that well it has it is actually valueless because it's white um but then it's not valueless and it certainly doesn't equal free because what i did with that quilt is uh, uh put a stopwatch basically on every minute and second that i was working on the quilt to really define how much time went into my labor for that quilt and then i costed the entire quilt from fabric design fees materials created a spreadsheet posted it on the blog let people comment on it and download the spreadsheet themselves if they wanted to use it um, figured out that that quilt, which I think was about 64 inches square, um, and using a trip around the world block, very simple squares, as a Bonnie Hunter tutorial, very, very simple. Um, and it cost, it was about $3,000, depending on uh, which uh, US or AUD dollar value. And I ended up selling it after it won several awards here in Australia and the United States, um, and ended up selling it for its actual value. Um, that I had costed. However, getting to that stage of finally selling it was arduous. You know, there were many people who thought I was ridiculous and even asking for $20 an hour for my time. Um, you know, and I, I'd actually, uh, 
have since revised that to $30 an hour. But at the time, people were like, well, I only asked $10. You know, I only, I don't charge any labor for my time. I don't think we should. It's my, it's my hobby. I just do it for, for, to keep my fabric purchases, you know, free. And I just, it felt really, um, felt really disingenuous of me not to pipe up and say something um, to, as a person who believes that everyone has the right and should demand self-respect for themselves. And self-respect comes for demanding what you're worth in both um, your personal relationships, but in business relationships as well. And so I, I wrote this blog post and, and after reading about um, Hunter or Sam's Sam Hunter's We Are So Worth It movement and I contacted her and just thought it was the knees, knees and knees about what she was doing and wanted to take it a step further and and contribute what I could. And uh, at the end of the day, I think we've all come and, you know, more and more people are seeing the value of uh, quilting and, and valuing their work in a way that is appropriate to their region or their skill level. And I hope I've contributed to that conversation, but there's a lot of people doing the same thing. And, and even the, the comment section on that blog post and, and the several recurring blog posts afterwards are, uh, gosh, a, a land, a, just a land of great insight into what people are doing around the world. Um, and granted, that was 2013, 2014. So there are, you know, things have changed in that four to five years, and the internet has changed that in a lot of ways. Um, but it's really interesting to see people's thought processes about what they're worth, and then t uh, touching base with those people years later, and having similar conversations and seeing if they have changed. In a lot of cases, they have. Yeah. Right, exactly. But if you don't start the conversation and sort of get people's initial ideas out on the table, it's hard to mm. move forward. Like I always, I mean, I, I'm trained as a teacher. And one of the things that you do um, in ed school <laughs> is you learn yeah. about how important it is to, you know, when you begin a new unit, for example, is to get all of the students to sort of say what they think they know about a particular topic um, and get all that information out on the table before you begin, because you can't scaffold new information on top of it True. until you sort of know, you know, get, you have, you have to know what everybody thinks they know first. Um, because yeah. if you sort of start to pile new information on top of a shaky foundation, then you, you're never going to, you know, you, if you think about that, that's never going to work. Um, yeah. because you're building on some, on, you know, building a new framework on something that doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense. Um, and so it's in, you, in order to sort of move forward in a conversation like that, you have to sort of get people's initial ideas about the topic out onto the table. And so starting that conversation several years ago and then checking back in to say, well, has your thinking about this moved at all is really important. Um, so re sure. revisiting that topic to say like, where are we now as a community? You know, have we, have we progressed or have we changed our mind as, you know, we, as we've continued to talk about this? Um, so I give you guys a lot of credit for, for doing that. Thanks. Well, I hope it continues to do so for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. And then, uh, one other, um, well, I mean, there's been other, <laughs> <laughs> There's been other ones, but um, but one of them that stands out for sure is you made this this specific quilt block, um, that you named "Don't Be a Dick," um, and it's well, it's a quilt block of a dick. Um, so, um, and it it caused some controversy. Interestingly, um, you put it on Craftsy, and there was sort of like a a lot of people who loved it and thought it was yeah. like either hilarious or just wonderful or, you know, fantastic. You made a whole, um, I think it was a mini quilt maybe. Yeah. Um, and they were all different colors and, and some people thought that was just like awesome and amazing. And then there were people who, um, thought it was like X rated and was yeah. like, awful and pornographic and scandalous and like not for work and not for children and not for families and um, were really offended and angry about it um, and and just were really upset. So um, I don't know what you felt like you came away from that experience with or um, I don't I know. I came away with it that there needs to be more of it. Okay. So talk a little, <laughs> like, talk a little bit about the, the whole, the whole situation. Yeah. I mean, that quilt block, um, is just everything to me. Like it just says so much about my readership and the quilt, um, the, the quilt world, I think. And what 
my role and how I need to bust some of those ideals open even more. And it really excited me to see people react in that way. Um, because this was one of those instances where I just wanted to create something from my sketchbook. And I thought it was, I thought it was kind of innocent. Like I had just drawn this in my sketchbook, a doodle. And I thought, Oh, I wonder if I can figure out how to make this as uh, an out of fabric. And, um, the original mini quilt I made, uh, was, um, actually as a, um, uh, a comment on, uh, the tragedy of the occupation of the Malheur National Wildlife Refuge in Oregon. Um, and, and that was back in, uh, a few years ago. And I had sent it to the occupiers as a, like a protest of like, how dare you like steal this wildlife, wildlife refuge as your way of protest. Um, and, um, and then it all got blown up, you know, and, and, and as you recap the story, some people hated it. Some people loved it. I loved it because it says a lot about Molly Sparkles, unafraid to, um, you know, put stuff out there that maybe might turn people's heads. Um, I actually have that quilt on my couch right now. <laughs> I was bundled up with it um, this morning. Um, I think it's hilarious. There are more dicks to come. Don't worry. Um, there's definitely a, a multicolored dick uh, in the work in the works. Um, and I, I think it's just something that can, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves a little bit more. Um, the penis for me is not uh, a bad thing. Like. 50% or 49% of the world has one. It's a part of our body, like an elbow. So I don't know why people are so like ashamed of looking at a penis or having a penis. Um, and there's nothing pornographic about a penis. A penis is not necessarily a sexual, um, doesn't have to be sexualized. Um, so it's weird for me that people were like, oh my God, this is pornographic. And I'm like, um, it's some squares and some half square triangles, like uh, maybe two half rectangles. Like, so it was just like a weird experience in that regard. But I can see now afterwards that, um, the more I'm able to throw that type of work into the quilt canon, hopefully that will, um, make people respect it a bit more, find more humor in it, and be less, uh, uh, have less pearl-clutching moments by it. Was it, like, censored on Craftsy? Am I remembering? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, so it was, you, you were right. So it was censored on Craftsy um, because a, a, a woman had sent me a comment saying, you know, something about the children and what's next, a pretty little pussy um, pattern. And I was like, I think your comment is actually more vulgar than <laughs> my um, whole pattern. But anyway, so I, Craftsy actually were super nice about it. They sent me an email just saying, hey, we actually love your pattern. We think it's hilarious, but we don't have the bandwidth to actually field the emails and the comments and stuff. So can you put a um, just something on the front cover to tone it down. And so me being, you know, subversive Molly, um, went and took one of those, I don't, this sounds probably worse than it is, but if you have ever seen like magazines, like penthouse magazines at the Seven Eleven or Japanese anime, um, there's often like starbursts over the nipples of females or, um, over the male or female genitalia. And so I thought that's actually really brilliant. So I took the pattern, uh, cover page, which is the large uh, penis block, and just put this starburst over the tip of the penis and with a little caption that just says, too hot to handle. And so you don't actually um, see the head of the penis, but you see everything else. And I submitted it back to Craftsy, and they were okay with it, and it still lives up on the, the Craftsy site. Um, and you can buy my block for $4 and make your own penis cushion or penis quilt. And, and I've got but, to wonder, like, okay, so did that, like, tamp down the number of emails? It did. Apparently that was okay. And I was like, that's <laughs> fantastic. You know, like I'm censoring myself, but I'm now all the, I'm also making it even more obscene in this weird way because now it's like, right. It actually looks pornographic. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like I yeah. thought, like if the number of emails was high before to me, that would make it higher. Yeah. But people would look at it and go, Oh my God, I'm looking at porn, but right. no, like that's okay. And then that just feeds back into this subversion of Oh, I was looking at it. Now I'm okay with it. Am I okay with it? No, I'm not okay. Oh, I am. Oh, it's pretty. You know, and all these questions and people start, you know, really having to 
question their own motives about what they're doing and saying. And, and it just fed back into that whole story and dialogue of what I am trying to do with Motley Sparkles. And I just, I, again, like it makes me want to do more and, and create different penis blocks for everyone and, and big ones and small ones and sideways ones. So we'll see more to come on in, in that, <laughs> more to come with penises. Okay, great. Okay. Um, thank you for telling us all of those. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these are like the sub projects, you know, with Molly yeah. Sparkles being the overarching project. And I think that's fascinating and they're you know sort of endless sub projects you know could oh. could sprout from this which is really really cool so i want to make sure um we get to your recommendations because you've got a oh, couple yes, of say. of good ones um so okay the first one and you were talking before about um not having english paper piecing skills yet a couple years back but it sounds like maybe now you've dived you've um dived in because you want to recommend english paper piecing which um, recovering from, uh, from a back injury has been great. Yeah. Um, I, I've written about it on my blog. Um, my blog is in a little bit of a hiatus at the moment because I did have, um, back surgery several weeks ago. And, um, my partner, uh, Mr. Sparkles has had a shoulder surgery like a week ago. And so I've been having in and out of hospitals and not been able to sit down or sit at the sewing machine and, you know, to, fuel that creative fire, I needed something else to do. And so I um, picked up English paper piecing as a way just to keep my hands busy um, while I'm sitting in the hospital or um, being at home here, um, walking around the kitchen. And it is it is fantastic. Um, I'm not sure that it will fuel my creative needs once I'm like driving the sewing machine again. Um, I have a Juki um, TL-98, so it's like 1,800 stitches per minute or oh, something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, goes, goes, goes. Um, so it's a very slow stitching. Um, I'm still processing how I feel about slow stitching, um, but I do love the experience and being able to expand my creative repertoire at the moment. Yeah. I yeah. know. I feel the same way about English paper piecing. You summed it up yeah. well. Um, okay. So um, you wanted to recommend block lock rulers. I actually don't have a block lock ruler. So tell me why oh they're superior. Okay. So this like changed everything for me in my quilt notion world. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a gadget guy. I'm not a ruler guy. Um, I generally use one ruler. Um, I have my cutting board. I have my rotary blade. That is about it in Molly Sparkles land. Um, when it comes, when it starts coming to the gadgets, I get kind of, oh, it only does one thing and I throw it away. Um, but the uh, block lock rulers, and not only is the family great, I, I have met them numerous times and they're hilarious, um, but the, the products really do what they're meant to do and they do them for things that we use all the time. So half square triangles was my first block lock ruler. I think I got it in the, uh, the four and a half inch version and the two and a half inch version. And I use those two rulers in nearly probably every quilt that I have made. And it just really has provided accurate, um, trimming and accurate, uh, uh, half square triangles. You can always for that particular triangle it has a channel guide, where the seam allowance goes into. So it, everything just stays in place. It has a um, really uh, great breadth of different uh, sizes that you can use. And then there's a whole bunch of other shapes. And I think I have like 20 different block lock rulers now. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the half, was it the half rectangle triangle ruler uh, has, is probably the, makes the most complicated task the easiest one. Uh, and so I also recommend that one as well. I'm a big fan of, of the whole range. Okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. yeah you they sure didn't are. pay me to say that either. They yeah. did not pay me to say that. I just love them so much. Okay. So. Yeah. That sounds like a really, uh, really good endorsement. Okay. Um, and then you also wanted to recommend um, using your design wall for doing improv. Yeah, and, and this kind of feeds back into my current state of being injured as well. Um, I haven't been able to sit down at my sewing machine for long periods of time, so I can't do like chain piecing and, and lots of, um, like if we were just using squares, it'd be involving lots of chain piecing. So I've started working more on improv, and I have a big um, gridded uh, design wall using Kath's, Kath's um gray and white gridded flannel. Oh yeah. And, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, and it was big. So I was like, we're talking probably three meters square. And, um, so I just throw fabric at it and I take 
fat quarters, fat 16s, things from my scrap bin. And I just start putting them on the wall, placing, peeling off, placing, peeling off. And I don't bother about cutting or anything. It's just large chunks of fabric. And then I just sort of move things around and occasionally I'll cut things. Occasionally I'll sew things together. But for me right now, it's just like practicing my eye. And that is key. Just keeping while I'm not able to really physically do a lot of heavy lifting with quilting. Um, I can still keep my mind and uh, artistic eyes sharp by playing with color and playing with fabric and seeing how they work together. Yeah, it's almost right, like a play space. And um, and Cave, mm. yeah, Cave makes this. It's funny. It's like this gray and white gridded flannel. I almost feel like he made it for design walls because it I seems. I think he did. I think that's, yeah. Like, I think that was the purpose. Yeah. Well, at least at least it seems to be the purpose most people use it for because I've seen yeah. it on so many design walls. So I'll try to find it and link to it so people can see what what it is if you haven't seen it before because it seems so perfect for that um, purpose um well, well and i've got, a, got a, um, a blog post about my like a photo post on how i made of how you made blog. yours oh cool yeah. all right so i'm gonna link to your how-to as well um that's cool. perfect yeah because that's neat i don't have a design wall um but um but I've always sort of been jealous of other people's. <laughs> so that's cool. Well, Molly, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Wall Street Naps podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. And I'm so glad we connected like all the way on the other side of the world. So this has been great. Awesome. Thank you so much, Abby. And I'll sparkle at you later. Okay. And you've been listening to the Walshie Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshienaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was brought to you by Quilt Photography Co. Beautiful photos of your quilts are within reach. They've made it easy for you. Pick your package online, drop your quilt in the mail, Then sit back and relax. Your quilt will be pampered and mailed back, and you can access your online gallery with the simple click of a button. Visit them at quiltphotography.com. Thank you so much, Quilt Photography Co. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.